Welcome to the Business of Beers podcast. This is the place where we help entrepreneurs expand their business, build their wealth, and generate passive income. I'm your host, Brian Beers, an entrepreneur who's on a mission to inspire growth from everyone around me. Remember that you need to take the action others won't, and you can live the life that others don't. Please be sure to check out my weekly newsletter that now drops every Thursday. It includes one quote, one tweet, one podcast recommendation, plus some business and investing insight from me. It's short and it's sweet. My goal is to provide you with just a couple gold nuggets to help inspire your growth. Go to brianbeers.com to subscribe. Hello, everyone. I'm excited today to bring you Jerome Myers. Jerome has built a multi-million dollar real estate portfolio and now coaches on with clients on how to unlock their full potential in whatever that is. Welcome to the show, Jerome. Thanks for having me, Brian. Good to be with you, brother. Awesome. So to start, can you give us an idea of your kind of your backstory? Maybe start from 18 years old to kind of how we got to now today and uh, get some get some context here. Man, I can't go at 18. I got to go back to five, man. So I was born and then I was hanging out with my mom in the front yard one day and it was Thursday as it always happened on Thursday. And I could hear the trash truck coming down the main street and he made a right on come down into our cul-de-sac and we were third house on the right, Brian. And on this particular day, as he did almost every week when I was out there, Lonnie hopped off the back of the truck grabbed the trash can, flipped the top off of it. It spent around like a quarter, fell flat. He did a little pirouette, dumped the trash into the trash can, and then he spent the trash can back to the curb like a Frisbee. Now, at this point, I knew it was about to go happen. So I'm doing my rendition before Baby Shark ever happened of pull the lever so he could crush the trash because that was the most important thing that could happen on that morning for me. And he pulled the lever and I told my mom, I want to be a trash man when I grew up. I knew it from the core that that is what I needed to do and be. And my mom looked at me as only a mother could do. And she said, baby, do you really want to be outside all day? I was like, mom, Lonnie gets off every day. And sometimes that, like before kids get out of school, daddy doesn't come home until after dark sometimes. So we can't play. Like, why would I want to do anything other than that? And he gets to operate big machine. And she said, well, do you like your Nikes? Do you like your Jordash? I said, yeah. You like your guest t-shirt? I said, yeah, I like that. She said, well, you got to pick a career that's going to pay for the lifestyle that you want to live. And I said, but I just want to be able to play. She looked at me and said, yeah, but you're going to have a little person like you one day that you're probably going to have to provide for. You may have a wife and if you don't do what you need to do there, then you're not going to be very happy with what's going on in your world. And that stuck with me, man. And so when I was 18, I was having a conversation with my high school physics teacher, Mr. Ayers. And I said, Mr. Ayers, I, I don't know if I want to solve problems with people or with math and science. He said, well, Jerome, you're good at both. You could probably be successful with either one. But engineers use math, math and science to solve problems. And they make a whole lot more than psychologists, sociologists, or social workers do. And so I thought back to what my mom said. And so I decided I was going to go to engineering school. And that's what I did. I went to engineering school, graduated. And then I did the next thing you're supposed to do, get a good job. Right. And so I got a job and started working. And I realized pretty quickly that I didn't want to do this. And I knew I didn't want to be an engineer when I was in college, but I had a scholarship. So it was like, you just keep going down the path because the money is where you're supposed to be. And so I, I get there 
And I'm like, okay, how can I get on the leadership trajectory? So I start doing the MBA, start doing all this stuff at night. And then 2009 happens. And my mentor has his position eliminated right after he moves me into a job that I didn't want to be in. I was working swing shifts and working some weekends. And it was a role where I didn't need any of the education that I had. And I applied for 100 jobs. I got 10 interviews and I got zero job offers over the course of the next 30 months. And by the time I got out of that role, I was put into another one where I was told if I didn't find somewhere else to go, that my bonus was going to be cut and they may pull back my base salary because where I was was higher than the band for the position that I got moved into. And I was frantic because I was like, going backwards isn't what's supposed to happen when you're in the business, especially when you didn't do anything immoral or unethical. And so I left and I went to a consulting firm where I was supposed to open up an office to start serving the company that I just left. And within a few months of being there, they asked me to commit timesheet fraud and said, well, I don't want to start my consulting career this way. So I left again and went to a large consulting firm. And at that large consulting firm, I had global responsibilities. I'm spending time in Africa, traveling all over the country. And in order to take on that role, Brian, I had to give up what I enjoyed doing most, which was coaching in the evenings. Um, I was a high school football defensive coordinator for a varsity program in the area. And because I was traveling so much, I wasn't going to be able to coach. And so for an extra $800 a month post-tax, I gave up what I felt like was my opportunity in order to be significant in the lives of others. And so I still remember flying over a football field on a Friday night on my way back in from Salt Lake City. And I see a kid break through the line and he's running for like an 80-yard touchdown. The crowd's going wild. The cheerleaders are flipping. The band is playing. And I'm in the airplane crying because I wanted my life to matter. And I didn't feel like what I was doing mattered. And so eventually I leave that role, go to a new company. And this is where I actually got to move the coaching into the professional realm. And so on January 13th, I start the new role. There's one other employee in the division that we are working in. By September 30th, there's 175 people on my team. By the end of the year, we've done $20 million in revenue with 30% profit margins. And there I stop and I'm like, this is pretty cool. Except for I get a phone call on December 24th at 4.55 that goes something like this. Hey, Jerome. You and I have been going back and forth about this for a few weeks now, and I've made a decision. We're going to lay them off. We're going to lay them off. That's not the right answer. Hey, Jerome, I'm informing you of a decision. This isn't a negotiation. We're going to lay half of them off. And I was not excited about that kind of line of thought. And it's like, no, no, this, this isn't what we're supposed to be doing. We need these people, blah, 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 blah. And so then it's 459 and he says, look, man, I am trying to be courteous with you, but this is the final decision. You can participate or not, but I'm going to spend the rest of the year with my family. I'll talk to you in the new year. And then the call ended. And in when I heard the three beeps, and if anybody has an iPhone, they know what I'm talking about. My stomach sank, right? And I felt like that conversation cut me from the inside out. And everything was built out on the ground because I had worked so hard, 60, 70, 80 hour weeks in order to build this thing only for the people who entrusted me to lead them to be let go. And so I had to make a trans change transformation 
And the following year, I dropped out of corporate America. And that led me to probably what the majority of this conversation will be about. Yeah, it's, it's, it's quite a journey. And yeah, a lot of it is like, you know, building building these teams and then, but then you have no control, right? And so that's a lot of the power of going out on doing your own thing is, you know, you get to control who the people you want to work with and who you don't want to work with. And um, yeah, that's probably a lot of the freedom, you know, people talk about and this, this is kind of it at play. So it's good. So then what, what did you do next? So you decide, Hey, I'm, I'm quitting. I want to go out on my own. What is, you know, what does that journey look like? Yeah. So I stayed because I needed to get my bonus. Right. And then we're going through the next year and I'm like, okay, things are getting better. And I think everybody goes through this rationalization that things are going to be okay if you just stay in it and stay with it. But we get to a couple of days before Thanksgiving and I'm standing up in front of the room and I tell my team, I'm like, hey, I don't know what's going to happen between now and the end of the year. I don't want you to spend all your money on Black Friday. And they're looking at me, I'm looking at them. And I think to myself, like, I just lost all my credibility as a leader because they're counting on me to be able to see into the future. And so it was in that moment that I knew that I was done. I was going to leave corporate America. And so I spent the next few months listening to podcasts, watching YouTube, trying to figure out how I was going to go buy an apartment building because I felt like that was the thing I was going to do next. I had an exchange in college with my buddy Duran. We were sitting on a stoop. And I was paying $3.95, two roommates doing the same thing in my apartment. Downstairs, he had the same thing happening. We multiplied it across the complex. The guy was making $700,000 a year, but we never saw him. We never talked to him. I'm the son of a soldier and a stay-at-home mom, so I didn't know who to go ask. So I continued down the regular path that I think everybody gets sold. But I tried to figure it out. And so part of the reason why I do podcasts is not because I think it's super exciting, but because they helped me along my journey and I think there's so many people out there who are looking for inspiration or that spark or even that idea that maybe they don't have or they're looking for encouragement from somebody's story. And so I hope to be that when I come on these shows. And so I find a deal. I put my business plan together. I take it to the bank and I say, hey, don't you want to give me a million dollars to buy this building? And they all look at me and they're like, no. It's like, well, why not? I just built a $20 million division for this Fortune 550 company. I got this engineering license. I keep going down to credentials. It's like, yeah, but none of that's the right experience. What? Like, well, what do you want? And they said, well, we want to know that you bought a property of similar size and executed that business plan that you have in that document you're sharing with us. I said, uh, every in my pocket, I put out a piece of land. <laughs> because <laughs> I, I didn't have anything for that. I hadn't done any of these deals. And so that was the first bank. And I, I did that nine more times until I really ex- decided to accept that what they were telling me was true and that I wasn't just going to be able to muscle my way through that I needed to find a partner. The problem was I didn't know anybody and I wasn't smart enough to go to a conference or join any networking groups or join any coaching programs in order to speed up that process. And so I did a pivot, started fixing and flipping. And then while I was fixing and flipping, a guy pulled up on one of my properties where I'm sitting on the porch, asked to see the finishes. We walked through and he asked me, hey, do you know anything about that building behind the Chimbo Mart? I was like, the Chimbo Mart? Yeah, I tried to buy that four or five months ago. It's a 23 unit apartment building. And he said, well, I'm going to make an offer on it later today. 
And all I could do was think about what the banker told me a few months ago and said, hey, don't leave me out the deal. And he said, what are you going to bring to the table? Said, I'm not sure, but don't leave me out of the deal. You're the guy I've been looking for. And he wasn't impressed with my answer. So he asked me again, what are you going to bring to the table? I said, man, look, I, I don't know, but I know that if you are making an offer, you have experience. The bank told me I need to partner with somebody with experience to do the deal. I wanted to do the deal. Don't leave me out. And he shook his head and he walked out. He walked down the steps through the grass, hopped in his truck and drove off. And in my mind, Brian, I'm of the belief that he's going to call me after he gets this thing under contract because this is going to happen. And so this was a Wednesday, Thursday comes and goes, no phone call Friday. I'm like, okay, they'll sign today. Nothing. The weekend comes and goes. And it's like, all right, it's Monday. It's going to happen today. The phone's going to ring today. On Tuesday, I realized I didn't know his name and I didn't have his phone number. I totally blew the opportunity. I didn't articulate my value. I didn't get the contact information. I didn't set the next meeting. And so the week comes and goes and I just... I get this sinking feeling again, similar to the one I had when I got that phone call on Christmas Eve. And then the following week, somebody reached out that I used to lend money to and said, hey, I got invited to be a general contractor on that project that you wanted to do. I told them I was only comfortable doing it if you were involved in the deal. And I was like, okay, sure. What I got to do? We're going to meet tomorrow at nine at this place. I'll be there. Don't worry about it. And so we ended up buying that project and that got me into the multifamily real estate space. Okay. So what were some of the lessons you learned from that that whole experience? The first one is be able to articulate your value. I don't think most people understand how important that is, especially when you're outside of uh, the structure or the matrix that I call corporate America. People are interviewing you on a daily basis and the opportunities that show up for you are specifically tied to your ability to articulate the value that you can create for folks. So if it was you today, how would have you, how would have you answered that question today? If you were asked? Yeah, I've got an extensive background in project management. I managed 400 concurrent projects at one time and I'm totally thrilled to apply that skill set to what's going to happen here. Um, I've got a background in construction. I'm a licensed engineer. Like depending on what the project needs, I feel like I can fit in wherever I need to. Yep. Yeah. I mean, if I was that guy, I'd be like, all right, sounds great. Like, you know, cause that's, it's, there's a couple different factors, right? Of partners is who brings what, whether you're bringing time, you know, where you have the time to put into it, they're bringing money or they're bringing like, you know, maybe the experience side of it. And so it's kind of like the, the marrying of all these things. And a lot of times people with money, they don't have the time because they have another full-time business. They've made money. They want to put it to use, but they don't have time to like be the project manager, spend all this time at this apartment building and deal with the contractors and get bids and do all this shit. And so that that's like very valuable to people who have money. But then on the other side, you know, there's there's all these different sides of it. So it's it's like you said, finding where you fit in and what your strengths are compared to you know what their weaknesses are. Yeah, and that's just me making a blanket rant. If I was smarter, I would have asked. Well, what pain are you having? What are the challenges you go, that you need to overcome, right? It's a clarifying question to truly understand the audience that you're presenting to. But I, I wasn't I wasn't that smart at that point, for sure. Yep. That's a good lesson for anybody listening to is, like you said, figure out what is specifically they, they you know, bring to the table. And in your case, like you hadn't managed any apartments, but you had project management experience, right? So you look at like, what are these common 
you know, denominators and how can you take your experience and apply it to, you know, that deal, even though the banker said it's totally irrelevant. It's not true. There's tons of relevant things if you can figure out how they can be adapted. It's all in presentation and packaging, man. But I mean, here's the thing though. Banks only invest in proven operators, right? That's what smart money does. They want to know people have actually done it before they place capital. Yep. So then you got to go to hard money lenders or private lenders or other people who are more like asset based, not like track record based. And then they're, they're more looking at what are you buying and what's this thing worth if I had to take it back. And so, you know, sometimes you got to go down those paths in the beginning. Uh, so let's fast forward to today. So how much real estate do you own today? Dollars or units or however you track it? Yeah, it's, uh, so we're, we've got five, we sold some stuff this year. So struggling a little bit. We've got 66 units across five addresses. Okay. And then what uh, What area? All in Greensboro, North Carolina. Okay. And then, so like, what's your, so then talk to me about, I guess, this, the, the coaching program now. So like, what is your, you, you work with other people to help, you know, unlock their potential to to find out what they want, to give them guidance. Can you kind of talk to me, give me the pitch on, on what you do uh, on that side? Yeah, I mean, in general, the pitch is we'll double your revenue and double the amount of time you get to take off over the course of a year. That's the pitch. Now, what do we do? Uh, that's what nobody wants, right? And so we've got a model for a centered life. We call it the red pill. And it starts with self-image, relationship, and work. Those three areas are where all the stress lie in your life. And so we figure out, help you figure out how to turn the volume down on the stress so that you can stop doing the self-destructive habits that you have. Some people stress eating, some people's drugs and alcohol, other people would pick a thing, right? But very rarely have I heard a person say, I'm going to go take the edge off and then they go do something like yoga or work out, right? So we want to make it so that you don't have to take the edge off. And then that gives you the ability to focus on your health because you're not doing the things that destroy your health. From health, we go to prosperity. And I think everybody knows somebody who has prosperity, but doesn't have their health. And so they're spending all their money and their time trying to get their health back. Those five levels are when most people feel like they've arrived and they got everything. And that is when they start asking questions. Once it really sets in, what is it all really for? And is this really it? And for the people who are asking those questions, they're looking for fulfillment. They're looking to have had a positive impact on the lives of others. And so level six is significance. And some people call that legacy. Other people call it immortality. But at the end of the day, it's just about having a positive impact on the lives of others. And so we help people walk through each one of those levels. And it doesn't matter how successful you are. There's something wrong in each one of those levels in your life. And we want to help you conquer that so that you can live a centered life, one where you don't feel off balance, but you're not in balance because being in balance means that you can't make any progress. Okay. And so where do you, I guess when, when people come and, and work you, where, where do you, where do they seem to struggle the most? You're like, what's the first step? Yeah, it's always self-image, right? So the levels are sequential and self-image is always the first one because anytime you want something that you don't have, you have to become somebody that you aren't in order to get the thing. And okay. So, you know, summing everything up, you have to be, be, do, have. You have to be the person that does the thing so you can have what you want. And so we help them recalibrate 
whatever the incongruencies are in their self-image in order to be the person that would be able to accomplish and achieve the things necessary to have the outcomes that they desire the most. Got it. Okay. So flipping it back to yourself. So what were some of the things, what were some of the self-image things that you had to kind of overcome to get to where you are today? Like, how did you take this and apply it? Yeah. I mean, I think one of the biggest things that people struggle with is being in sales, right? I think when people come up with this, uh, this idea that they want to help other people, they have a hard time asking for something in return for it, especially apex performers. They're used to people bringing their problems, them having the answer and being able to solve it for them. And when you do that in a corporate space, somebody else is figuring out the monetization piece of it. When you go out and you do that type of stuff on your own, you're the person that has to figure out what the monetization is. And in order for you to help people, like to continue to help them, there has to be some level of income in some way, shape or form. And the moment that you try to separate those two things is the moment that you're not going to be able to render services because you're going to be homeless, you're going to be hungry, and you're probably not going to feel really good about yourself, even though you may have helped other people get to where they want to go. And I had to do that. I resented my ability to earn income. I resented my ability to uh, create value in a way that most people aren't able to. And so I pushed that away and I went to that place where I didn't want to be compensated. I just wanted to do it because it felt good. But prosperity happens before charity or significance happens. So you have to be able to give from a place of abundance or you resent the gift that you made. And so I I was totally out of whack in the way that I was thinking about that. Okay. And what, what were some of your self-limiting beliefs you had that you had overcome, even even in building the coaching program? Because that alone, like they're different realms, right? To say I want to build a real estate portfolio versus, you know, I want to work with people and unlock them and, you know, have courses and masterminds and all stuff. Like, I mean, a lot of it's you, it's personal brand, right? And so I think I, I don't know, they're different, totally different business models. So I don't know, on a personal level, like what did you where did you f- find that what was it before? And then, you know, how'd you go overcome it? Yeah, I mean, it's it's a very similar answer to the last question, right? I did not see myself as somebody who was in sales. If you think back to the interaction I had with the guy in my house mm-hmm. where I was flipping, I, I didn't feel like I needed to sell him on anything. I'm probably one of the most credentialed people in the real estate space, right? MBA, project management professional, professional engineer, Licensed contractor, like I could keep going down a list of all the certifications, mm-hmm. but the thought of being able to practice that or position that as something that somebody would want to buy is completely different. The other thing was I believed that personal brand and polish didn't matter, right? If you're in the business of buying flip houses or value add reposition multifamily, you're used to being able to see the value even if the property doesn't look great. Yep, And that's what I was expecting other people to do when it came to whatever we put together. And that was just, mm-hmm. it was a fool's errand because people are looking to be able to understand it in a split second. And anything else that forces them to work uh, makes it less desirable. Okay. And then, so how do you go about then helping on a, on a time, to so double their time? So what, what are some of the th- things you work and the, the tactics there? To get more time freedom. 
Yeah. I think the first place you go is you don't have to do everything. Uh, early in entrepreneurship, I think most people think that their time is not the most precious resource that they have. And so they're willing to give it away for little to nothing. And the fact of the matter is time is the only non-replenishable resource that we have. And so if you're doing things that you can pay somebody to do $10, $15, an hour, and you're doing those things, you're literally robbing yourself of the opportunity in order to be successful financially. And so how do we make sure that you fully understand what you have to do and only you? And how do we get resources aligned to help you do the other things that you shouldn't be doing? It's really, it's been really eye-opening here recently because one of the people I work with, when they're so positive that they say they enjoy doing everything. And when you start really peeling the layers back and forcing them to rank things and put stuff in order, the truth of what they actually enjoy starts to come out. And as that comes out, you can really see how clear and excited they get about the things that they're truly passionate about. Hmm. Yeah. There's always like a question of like, what, what gives you energy, right? There's all these different things you can do, but like, what do you, what do you light up when you talk about what, what excites you? And like, you want to spend as much of your time on those things that not only excites you, but they're high dollar per hour activities. And then, yeah, anything that's not, it's, you know, virtual assistants or other teammates or just not doing them at all. Like not everything needs to be delegated either. So, but yeah, that process of eliminations is key for time management. What, what about on the revenue side? I mean, how do you work with the teams or the companies? Like how, how do you grow the sales? Yeah. So every company is limited by the business leader. Doesn't matter what all the other people do. If the business leader isn't at, let's call them a level five leader, their business is only going to go to level five. And so the goal here is to expand the capacity of the business leader so that they grow faster than their company can keep up with. That way they're never capping what the business can do. Yep. Yep. That's good. That's a good response. I, I agree with that. I've, I've, you know, personally, as I personally grown, the company's grown too. And I've, I feel that too. So that's a, uh, that's a good one. Good. So what are some of your big goals you're working on right now? Like what's the company, the real estate, like what are your top two goals right now? Yeah. So in real estate, we're selling our smaller assets off and we're going to go into bigger, higher quality assets. Now that we've established a track record of being able to operate these things and we've gone through a pandemic and on the coaching side, we're bringing in some coaches to help expand capacity. I, I've reached capacity. I went from, I think, four coaching sessions in January of 2020 to 65 in uh, December of 2020. And last year, I did like 750, and I'm almost at 750 this year already. So the ability to expand that and be able to service somewhere between 50 and 70 folks is where we want to grow the company to yep. rival with Tony Robbins and, and as audacious as that may be. Yep, that's that's all good. Um, cool. Where can people connect and learn more about you if they're interested in in you know talking about coaching or real estate or anything else? Yeah, everything's at JeromeMyers.co. You can hear about our upcoming events. You can find our podcast, and you can get all of the different free resources that we make available to the folks that are kind enough to spend some time with us. Awesome. Cool. I appreciate you coming on to the show, sharing your story. It's, it's you know quite inspirational, as you said. You kind of just kind of keep keep grinding it out and figure figure it out and keep growing. And 
said, now it's pretty cool you're going and flipping this around to help other people. Thanks, Brian. Awesome. That's all we got for this episode with the Business with Beers podcast. One thing that would really help both us and other new potential listeners is to rate the show and leave a comment in iTunes, Stitcher, wherever you listen. Also, make sure to link up with me on your preferred social media platforms, LinkedIn, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. You can find all my links at brianbeers.com. Please just share the podcast with anyone you think might enjoy it. And until next time, remember to take the actions others won't to live the life that others don't. 